0: Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. Thanks for joining me. This week, I'm diving deep into some cold cases. Now, most of them... Or unsolved involving bodies dumped in or near canals in Broward County. And I want to start with the cold case, however, that was solved after nearly 50 years when a woman, Bonnie Neighbors, disappeared while going to pick up her son from school in Benson, North Carolina. The suspect was identified in 2019 as 65 year old
1: Larry Joe Scott. Detectives from the Justin. Sheriff's Office, along with detectives from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, arrested Larry Joe Scott, age 65, formerly of Benson, on charges of the first-degree murder and kidnapping of Bonnie Neighbors.
0: Now that is the Johnston County Sheriff Steve Bazell from North Carolina. And boy, was he relieved to solve this case. I am
1: humbled for the part that we have played in this, and I am thankful that God gave me the vision and the heart 12 years ago, to reopen a a case where justice had been far too long delayed.
0: So 33-year-old Bonnie Neighbors disappeared in December 1972 while on her way to pick up her son from school. Now, after an extensive search, the mother of two from Benson was found slain in an abandoned migrant worker housing unit. Her infant son was found huddled next to her body, unharmed. Rachel Wheeler says that ever since her sister, Bonnie Neighbors, was murdered in 1972, her family has lived a long and terrible nightmare. I had six brothers and sisters and my mom that went to their grave not knowing anything. anything. I'm absolutely thrilled. So now, in 2019, a break in the case, authorities say DNA evidence gathered at the crime scene led to the arrest of a 65-year-old homeless man, Larry Joe Scott, in Bradenton, Florida. Detectives working on this case, Johnston County's longest-running cold case ever, say that with DNA evidence, they are certain that they have their man.
1: Today is a good day. Today is a great day for the neighbor's family. We have worked diligently to solve the case that I remember from the time I was a 14-year-old young boy. where an innocent. Young mother was murdered and her baby left in her arms at a migrant labor camp near Benson. Yesterday, I was able to look that little baby boy, who is now a grown man, in the eyes, and I was able to tell him, We have found and arrested your mother's murderer. So, according to the sheriff,
0: 49 years ago, he was only 14. So, if Larry Joe Scott is 65 today, he must have been just a year or two older than the sheriff at the time of the murder. Plus, he's charged with murder and kidnapping and not rape. So what DNA was left at the scene if there was no rape or sexual assault? The 33-year-old mother had been found bound, fatally shot, Again, she was going to pick up her oldest son from school when she was kidnapped in 1972. Her four-month-old son was also found alive beside her. And the surviving infant, now an adult, Glenn Neighbors, is now working as a paramedic in Four Oaks, North Carolina, according to his LinkedIn profile. Now, it's going to be a long road to trial as well for Larry Scott, who may not face a jury until next year. Well, he's gone this long. It just goes to show you that with DNA, even after 50 years, the long arm of the law can still find you, even if you're homeless, wandering the streets, and can bring justice. So now to a spree of cold case killings from the 70s in South Florida that have never been solved, not even close. What makes a cold case? The definition kind of varies from agency to agency, but the National Institute of Justice currently defines a cold case as any case that has all of its investigative leads exhausted. In essence, this means a case that is only a few months old could be defined as cold. Even a case not solved in the first 72 hours can lose its warmth until new evidence, like DNA, is unearthed. So in this series of unsolved cold cases here in South Florida, I spoke to a family member of one of the victims about some new evidence that may have come to light. I'm pleased to be joined by the sister of one of the victims of the, you want to call him the flat tire murderer or the canal killer. And your sister was killed in 1975. Is that correct? That's give us your, right. Give us your name. Nancy. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Nancy. And your sister's name was Belinda Darlene's at her hour? Belinda Darlene. Yep. We called her Darlene. She was only 14 years old at the time. So how old were you?
2: I was 12.
0: Wow. And let's just set the groundwork here. Where were you living at the time?
2: I lived in unincorporated Fort Lauderdale and it's also 27 was my understanding back in the area of like Alligator Alley.
0: Sure. Out West yeah. by, by the Everglades.
2: Well, it, we didn't, I mean, you know, as a kid, we didn't call that the Glade. We called the Glade that was, we called that Alligator Alley along the through there. I think 84 was Alligator Alley officially, but anyway, um, once again, I was 12. So, I mean, I never heard of the flat tire killer until I had uh, recently got on Facebook in the last probably two and a half years. And people from my neighborhood there in Fort Lauderdale contacted me. And one of my sister's age friends, she had mentioned it. Anyway, that was the first I'd heard of that. But once again, you got to keep in mind, I was 12. I had a mother that sheltered me from the, even though it's, of course, it's all harsh, but I didn't know. A lot of details
0: yeah I mean this guy was known as in the press as the flat tire killer because there were many of these killings were associated with a tire being flattened and then he would attack the the female and then
3: well,
2: the t- see, neither one of them had cars yeah and I, it was ahead. also
0: called the tooth fairy killer did you hear that one Nope. and then the South Dade serial killer His first kill, his first known kill, was June of 1975, and his last assumed kill was August 1996, and we just don't know who this person is. So, Nancy, let us talk about your sister's case, because she was with her friend, Barbara Schreiber. Do you remember her at all?
2: I do. Yep. We called her Barbie.
0: What does she look like?
2: Barbie and Darlene had long brown hair, down to their waist, low their waist, brown eyes. They were... 14 very shapely and uh, so i mean they were they were similar in look uh, you know brown eyes long brown hair now so, there
0: there was some discussion that they went somewhere that they weren't supposed to go to they actually can you tell me a little bit they, about- it, was,
2: it was told uh the best of my recollection uh, barbie had told her parents she spent the night with darlene and Darlene told my mama that uh he was spending the night with Barbie, so I had, there was a place called Trails Inn, used to be down uh, State Road 7 south of uh, where I lived in my uh, neighborhood there. Anyway, it was a teen dance club, you know, where they didn't sell alcohol. Uh-huh. It, was called, it was called Trails Inn, but I don't, I don't know. I remember going there one time. In my sister had brought me.
0: So but, uh, what happened, she wasn't home for that night, and then... Your mom?
2: She, she wasn't home, so obviously my mother wasn't concerned because she was spending the night. I was supposedly totally spending the night, and I really don't know the details on it because, of course, I'm just going by my memory. And once again, I was young. Next afternoon, and then I think it was the next day, my mother had, uh, got the call from the police. In fact, I was spending the night with my grandma and grandpa, and I remember the first night, my mother, of course, wasn't. There was nothing said, and I. I remember correctly. It was uh, not the next day, but the following day. I remember knowing that uh, that my sister more or less was missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which um, you know, my mother was very strict, and uh, you know, there's. You came in on curfew, <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
0: Right, so what I have is that the 14-year-old friends left the Schreiber house, so that would have been Barbie's house in Hollywood, on the evening of June 18th, and they told Barbie's mom they were going to spend the night at their friend Valerie's house.
2: I don't really like, I like the name Valerie, but that doesn't mean too much.
0: And then the next morning, a family out on a fishing trip found their bodies. <laughs> Do you remember this? lying side-by-side okay. side along the canal parallel to Highway 27, approximately four oh. miles north of Andytown, an outpost for truckers and fishermen that no longer exists there.
2: Right, okay, I remember in Andytown now. That's yep. Okay.
0: And each had been shot with a large-caliber bullet, like a 45, And there was a lot of blood at the scene, and investigators believe that both girls were killed right on the spot and they were found fully clothed, and there were conflicting reports as to whether they were sexually assaulted. But one article did say that there was no conclusive evidence, but one girl was found wearing her underwear backward.
2: Well, I found out later. Um, seeing my mother, my grandmother, and then my oldest sister passed back in 2011. 2011, anyway, when all that, after that happened, I turned up from my aunt. We were talking probably a year or so later, and it was did find that that they were raped, and I never knew that. So oh, I, okay. I was never I was never told that. But that's uh, you know once again that's information I got from my aunt, who so, was, was much colder than me.
0: Valerie that's said right. that that they learned the girls never made plans to sleep over, and that they used their excuse they wanted to go somewhere without their parents knowing, and then there were conflicts. Right. Is, is that right?
2: They used to hitchhike. See, the girls at that age, they would hitchhike to get where they wanted to go. Oh. So I don't know if they, you know, were picked up by just the wrong person. They were they last seen near 15. the intersection
0: of 441 and Hollywood Boulevard. So that's going to be just west of 95 in Hollywood. Yeah,
2: would, yeah I'd be correct. But also that was where the scene was off, uh, you know, there at the beach, Hollywood Boulevard, Allendale Boulevard. And anyway, uh, like I said, I know... I know that he tried to go where they wanted to go.
0: Well, then this said uh, they were trying to catch a ride north so they could buy drugs. Does that make sense? Did you, did your sister use drugs?
2: No, that that doesn't make sense. But then again, young people they experimented with you know with things, you know, drugs could be anything. Marijuana, I don't really consider right. marijuana drugs. So you know.
0: I just wanted to ask: Was there anything new on the case that you wanted to tell us about?
2: Uh, well, once again, I won't. Bring up anyone's name. I got a call, probably possibly a little over two years from uh, family. Uh, it was a rather a person who grew up in the same neighborhood as me that had information that I relate to BSO. And at this point, I have not heard anything back.
0: So and you can't give me any of that information.
2: I cannot, and I won't, because I won't. I won't put the person in a position like that.
0: But is it a possible suspect?
2: No. It's no, just a it's no. just
0: a bit of information that Bso can go on
2: if someone if they have a uh, I don't know what information per se and I uh, just uh let's they suspect someone they know let's put it like that
0: okay well thank you so much for talking to us about your sister I know it's mm-hmm. difficult and I apologize but maybe we can help in trying to solve this cold case thank you Nancy
2: thank you Karen I appreciate it okay bye you have a
0: So I was very intrigued by the prospect of new information in this case. So I reached out to the woman who had posted some information on Facebook. Her name is Lisa Alaska. And she says that she's going to respect Nancy's wishes and wait until we, quote, unquote, know that the person with the information is safe, So that's interesting. And then she says, I'll say this. It's my opinion only. I don't believe that this was a Ted Bundy killing as surely they would have matched the DNA by now. I also don't believe that the two girls should be lumped in with the flat tire killer as they were only 14 year old girls and they weren't driving a car. I agree. Plus, the flat tire murders were connected to unsolved murders in Dade County, Miami-Dade County now. Uh, In Florida, in 1975, investigators theorized that the killer flattened the tires or deflated them of the victims' vehicles and offered them assistance before killing them. And all of the murders took place in the vicinity of Cutler Bay. Well, these girls were killed in Hollywood in Broward County, which is about an hour north of that area. Now, the possible victims included five women, and they lumped these two girls in with them. The others are Ronnie Gorlin, she was 27, Elise Knapp, 21, Barbara Stevens, 23, and then you've got Barbie and Belinda, or should I say Darlene, lumped in with them, and the cases remain unsolved. Now, Ronnie Gorlin and Elise Knapp were both murdered in July of 1975. Now, you recall that Barbie and Belinda were killed in June of 75, and homicide detectives were convinced that there was a connection between the two killings. The assistant medical examiner of Dade County connected the three other cases to the same killer in August of 2011. Now, Barbara Stevens was murdered at her home in Palmetto Bay in February of 1975. Barbara Schreiber and Belinda Zetterauer were high school classmates but that was in Broward County. Now, this case stems from Florida all the way out to California, where the officials there believe the suspect acted alone, moved from coast to coast, and was responsible for more than 30 unsolved homicides. Does that sound familiar? Sound like somebody you might know? How about Ted Bundy? Well, you can revisit my episode number 27, Ted Bundy's Women, Victims, and Flames. Now, Florida investigators have not commented on this theory, but their suspect was known only as someone who deflated the victim's tires and then offered assistance. It's thought that the California theory was referencing Ted Bundy before he had been caught. Also, police say the killer's likely to be very intelligent an above-average IQ with above-average strength and prowess. The method of killing, a combination of shooting, stabbing with an ice pick, blunt force trauma from hammer blows where he completely obliterated their faces three of the four victims, could not immediately be identified due to the severe disfiguration. And there was a rash of approximately 9 to 172 homicides and suspicious deaths of teenage girls and young women in Dade and Broward counties in the early to mid-70s. And at the time, there was considerable disagreement over whether the crimes reflected the work of one or more serial killers, and the cases remain unsolved. I'm only going to go into nine of the main cases that occurred between January and July of 1975. They're most commonly associated with the canal murders. Now, the newspaper accounts show that the canal murders began January of 1975, when the body of 19-year-old Indiana native Judith Osterling was found floating face down in the Snake Creek Canal, east of Highway 27 in Broward County. She had been beaten with a rock in the woods nearby before being dragged to the canal bank and thrown in the water. That's where she ultimately drowned. Now, Judith's father said that she left her Rushville, Indiana home to head to Florida in the summer of 1974, and last he knew, she was in Orlando. And when they spoke in December, she said she had gotten a job at a printing company but didn't tell him exactly where she was but that she was near the Miami area. After her body was discovered, detectives interviewed 22-year-old Sue Jane Walter. She is the owner of Tiger's Health Spa in Miami, where Judith reportedly worked as a massage therapist and a sex worker. So she wasn't a printer. She was a hooker. She claimed that she fired the girl on the day of her disappearance. That was January 25th. And she doesn't know what happened to her after that. But she relied on hitchhiking to get around. Just like Barbie and Belinda. And detectives came to believe that she probably got into a car with the wrong stranger and was killed as a result. Now, 17-year-old Arietta Marie Rennie Tinker was dropped off by her husband at the Hippopotamus Lounge in Hollywood Beach around 1 p.m. on April 9th, 1975, just before the June killings of Barbie and Belinda. And he asked her if she wanted a ride home, and she declined, saying that she would find her way back, another hitchhiker. She was reportedly last seen at the Lums Restaurant near Young Circle, a little over a half mile from her home, and that is in Hollywood, just east of 95. She was never seen again. Three days later, her body was found floating in the Snake Creek Canal about a half mile east of Highway 27 in Miramar, just north of the Broward-Dade County line approximately the same area where judith was found less than three months earlier now reports differ as to how she was discovered if it was an off-duty police officer riding his bike or four miami teens who were on a fishing trip but there were really no signs of foul play but detectives suspected murder because they really couldn't figure out how she could be found dead so far away from home and without a vehicle nearby Then we've got the killing of the 14-year-old friends, Barbara Schreiber and Belinda Darlene Zetterauer, who I spoke to her sister, Nancy, And immediately there was concern that the fatal shooting of those two girls was connected to the earlier murders, but not that of Barbara Stevens or Arietta Tinker. Instead, investigators were searching for any link to the murder of 19-year-old Nancy Lee Fox, whose body was pulled from the same canal just four days earlier and only 100 to 200 yards from where the two 14-year-olds were discovered. She had been struck over the back of the head with a blunt object and then choked before being tossed in the water. Then fears heightened more on July 10th when a family vacationing from Fort Myers spotted an arm sticking out of the Highway 27 canal about 10 miles south of where Barbie, Belinda and Nancy were found. The body was quickly identified as Robin Leslie Loesch, a 14-year-old girl who was reported missing by her parents just two days earlier when she failed to return home from summer classes at Stranahan High School. Also in Broward County, there's the Stranahan Haunted House, which is a completely different story, but like rocking chairs rock all by themselves in that house. You spend the night there and you like lose your mind. An autopsy revealed that Robin had likely drowned, but investigators sharply disagreed over whether she was the victim of murder or an unfortunate accident. Then, on the evening of July 30th, Elise Rapp, 21-year-old New York native, who had moved to the Miami area, she was working there in 1975 in June, headed out to do some shopping in the now-defunct Hollywood Mall. That used to be east of 95 of Pembroke Road, I believe. The next morning, a man grading a dirt road spotted Elise's body floating in the Graham Canal. Just 10 blocks from where? Another victim was found the week before, Ronnie Sue Gorland. She stopped at the Asthmatic Children's Foundation in North Miami Beach to catch up with some old co-workers. She was telling them about her new wedding plans and that she was going to pass by the 163rd Street Shopping Center before heading to Parkway General, which is down south by the Golden Glades, at 2 p.m. to meet with her mother, who was being treated for a stomach bug, but she never showed up at the hospital. That night, a security guard called North Miami Beach Police to have a rental car towed after he found it abandoned with a flat tire blocking traffic in the parking lot of burdines the next morning the surveying crew stumbled across her nude body floating in the graham canal in northwest miami-dade county an autopsy revealed she was raped and sexually mutilated before drowning in the canal what a way to go so Elisa's body was found floating in the Graham Canal just 10 blocks from where Ronnie was found. She was wearing only a gold chain necklace bearing the Hebrew symbol for life. She had been sexually assaulted before she was struck over the head and drowned in the canal. The M.E., Dr. Wright, noted that she was sexually mutilated in a similar way, but reportedly more viciously than Ronnie Gorlin. Ugh. Later that night, her car was found abandoned in a parking lot at the Sears Hollywood Mall. One of the tires was flat on August 1st. The day after Elisa's body was found dead, Dade County officials confirmed that they were hunting for a single suspect in Ronnie and Elisa's murders and that they were looking for possible connections to the Stevens murder and those in Broward County. So the search for a serial killer was now in full swing. But no one has ever been found, identified, or arrested in any of these cases. Some that involved a flat tire in a parking lot. All of them seemingly involved a body found in or around a canal. So it's really kind of a mystery. So back to the Stranahan House, it's the home of Fort Lauderdale pioneers Frank and Ivy Stranahan. It was built in 1901 as a trading post and converted into a residence for them uh, in 1906, the oldest surviving structure in Broward County. And people say this thing is haunted. The home has long been known for its creepy haunted vibe. It's now run as a museum. Depressed and destitute after the Florida land boom bust of 1926 left him and his investors Broke Stranahan committed suicide when he jumped into the river that flows in front of the home and drowned himself. His widow Ivy Stranahan lived in the house until she died in 1971 at the age of 90. Now, reports of Frank's ghost haunting the home surfaced mere days after his death. One report says a clock that had not been working began ticking and chiming on its own the week after Stranahan took his own life. Other reports say Ivy's ghost also wanders the home. And some people have told me very mysteriously, all of a sudden you can smell the scent of a perfume that wafts through a room. Possibly Ivy was wearing Shalimar. And most eerily, a friend of mine spent the night there at the Stranahan house and called on the spirits of Frank and Ivy Stranahan and saw their manifestations appear in a photograph that he took. Ooh! Also, a rocking chair started to rock all by itself. <laughs> well, that wraps up this week's episode of Full Rigger. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, go ahead and give me five stars. And also check me out on Instagram at Podcast.